we're in the midst of a series, which is going to go on for a little while, called Reu, and we're looking each week at biblical characters who are being reued. God is working in their lives and making them something they weren't before. And occasionally, I like to have people here who are being reued. Hopefully, that's all of us share their story briefly with us. And this week, I've asked Eric Johnson if he would come and share his story with us. Tipped us down, not as tall as Shane. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to share a little bit about my story. I uh, grew up uh, here in Coldwater. I was adopted uh, into a family when I was probably about three months old. I actually grew up only a mile away, uh, down the road from here, so uh, didn't really go to church a lot. Uh, I, w- I went to church here a couple times when I was young. Um, Obviously, before Shane was here, uh, I think uh, Mr. Runyon was here, Pastor Runyon, and uh, but really didn't didn't really grow up in a family that uh, prayed a lot. Uh, but I was always, when I was younger, always interested in in kind of spiritual things. God was in my heart at at times, but uh, when I was young, I was. Uh, I was pretty uh, stiff-headed. I, uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, and I figured out later on in life that we suffered from ADD, which was uh, authoritative defiance disorder. Uh, I didn't like I didn't like being told what to do, so that was a problem. And uh, you know, uh, always running into the brick wall of life. And um, when uh, I. Some I don't see most of you. Most of you people, I come to the second service, so uh, I knew a family back then. They were the Saldanos. I don't know, maybe some of you old timers knew them or not. But uh, the, I was good friends with one of their sons, and they had come to come here to uh, to uh, Lockwood for some function. And uh, uh, I was talking to one of their sons, and he was kind of telling me what was going on. And they watched this movie and stuff, and you know, at the time, I was really, uh, uh, you know, going through kind of like a hard time when I was younger, uh, just bad attitudes, stuff like that. And uh, this is when you know, I was either 11 or 12 years old. Anyway, after he got telling me the things that he, he had heard, you know, something convicted me, and I felt like, well, you know, I don't want to die and go to hell, <laughs> you know, I want to be with God, if, if that's the case, and so I kind of said like a prayer at uh, at that moment, and uh, by myself, I mean, I prayed to, to the Lord and asked Him to forgive me, and, and I guess it would be now a sinner's prayer or something, they would probably call it, but... Um, after I got done praying and I asked the Lord Jesus, I said, if you're real, come into my heart. And it was like, bam, a thunderbolt. I mean, literally, it was a, it was a jar uh, experience for me, like a jar-shattering experience. It was like I was changed from then on. Um, you know, my way of thinking changed about people. Uh, I felt God's love, forgiveness. I mean, it's really, no words can really describe the feeling that I had. But let me skip on. I, you know, I wish I could say that after that it was like, you know, all peaches and cream after that, but it wasn't. 
Um, I ended up getting involved in alcohol and drugs after that. You know, at that time, at that specific time when I was younger, I was like, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to, uh, I don't need somebody telling me how to believe in God. I don't need, you know, all this stuff. So I, you know, I didn't go to church. I didn't have a fellowship of people that that I could, uh, you know, be around. So I was basically by myself, you know, in, in that sense. So I ended up late, you know, not too long after that, getting involved in alcohol and drugs, which basically took me down to the uh, road to, uh, you know, walking into that wall of divine discipline for like till I was 23 years old. And, and when, and, and at that time, my life was pretty much a, a, a heap of mess. Uh, there wasn't uh, much to live for anymore. I had Basically, uh, I mean, the last time I went to jail, uh, which was in a blackout, and I said, there's got to be a better way of living than this, you know. And uh, But at that time, I felt like I failed God. I failed life. Uh, and that's that's when God began to really move because I was ready to, I was ready to do. I wasn't, you know, fighting it anymore. I was, okay, whatever I need to do, I'll do. And uh, so God began to really uh, work his power, uh, you know, at that, at that age. I'm 40 years old today, you know, I, and I've, obviously I'm skipping through a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that have happened in my life since then, a lot of miracles. Uh, you know, I have a family today, a job and all that stuff that, that uh, one gets uh, from you know, reaping the benefits of serving God, but, uh, you know, I'm part of a ministry today, uh, you know, not, not part of Dave's ministry of Dave's in here today, but, uh, you know, uh, we do AA out to jail and been doing that for about 16, 17 years now. So God has used my experience, uh, to help those in that field, but, um, it took a while to get there, you know, and uh, it takes whatever it takes. So I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, instantaneously um, at that when I was younger, it was there. But, you know, I guess I had uh, some things to learn about humility and, and what it takes to serve God, because uh, it does it does take, you know, work. Uh, it takes humility. And, uh, at, you know, today it's a lot easier to serve God. Uh, knowing that, uh, you know, he loves me, and and as long as I do the best that I can, you know, he does the rest. So uh, I guess that's it. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay for the second series. <clears throat> Turn to Genesis 35. We're, we're continuing this series that we're calling Ryu. And as we've seen over the past weeks, God's process of renewal requires on our part insight, decision, and implementation. But it also requires time. Renewal doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen because you've had one insight, or you've made one decision, or you've implemented that one decision into your life. Renewal takes time. That sequence, insight, decision, implementation, gets repeated hundreds, maybe thousands of times in our lives in order for us to make spiritual progress. Just as the intake, compression, combustion, exhaust sequence happens in your car, 
thousands of times in order for your car to make progress. But we can easily become impatient. We can complain. You know, I, I, I saw the truth, and I made a decision, and I've implemented that decision by, and you can fill in the blank, by going to church, by reading the Bible, by praying, by serving, by worshiping, etc., etc. And yet I don't seem to be making any progress at all. I feel like I'm right where I started. The renewal process takes time, and that requires patience. But understand, that's not just patience on our part, but patience on God's part as well. Eric gave God cause for patience, for exercising patience, as so have you and I. But will God wait for me to get it right? I keep messing up. I take one step forward, I take two back. I'm an awfully slow learner. Will he lose patience with me and throw me on the discard pile? Because deep down, I kind of feel like that's where I belong. Is he going to give up on me? That's a question Jacob could have asked. He made a few starts, but they always seemed to be followed by sudden stops. If he took one step forward, he routinely took two back. We saw in chapter 32 that he no more than got done praying than he began plotting. He couldn't help himself. It was in his bones. Last week, we watched as a humbled Jacob was reconciled to his twin brother after decades of estrangement. His brother, to his surprise, had let go of the past and forgiven him. And he was genuinely happy to see Jacob. The text says that Esau ran to meet Jacob, who probably thought he was going to beat him to a pulp. But instead, he embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. When Esau asked Jacob what was going on with all the gifts that he sent in advance of his arrival, Jacob answered, to find favor in your eyes. To which Esau poignantly said, I have plenty already, brother. So let me review what's happened to Jacob before we read our text today. He had had a genuine spiritual encounter. He met God for real, and it it changed him. The renewal process kicked into gear. Then he met his brother, and he found that his brother was tender-hearted toward him. See, in the space of a couple of days, so much of what Jacob had lived and thought he knew changed. And he finally seems to be on his way, a new, more humble, God-dependent Jacob. And you know what he did after that? He told his brother something he totally knew wasn't true, made a promise to him he had no intention of fulfilling, and then he skipped town. This is the new Jacob? Yes, it is. And this is the old Jacob. And it would take time for God and for Jacob to sort the two out. I know a man who had a genuine spiritual experience in jail on the eve of a big trial. He was afraid that he was going to be sent upriver for a long time. And so he prayed, and he told God that he would give his life to him if God would save him from prison. Now, I don't recommend those kinds of prayers, bargaining with God, But God listened to him, and he saved him. He got out of jail. So you know what he did next? He went right back to selling drugs. Only now, 
he was giving a tithe on the profits from his drug sales to World Vision. I once asked him if he thought that he genuinely met God in jail. And he told me, yeah, I think that's when I met God. He was sure of it. That was the night change began. But it was hardly completed. Reuel takes time and takes patience on our part and God's. But we can genuinely encounter God, receive the new life that God provides from the cross, and still be totally screwed up. So think about Jacob. He was a nomadic herdsman. So he never settled in one place for very long. His huge huge herds would exhaust the food supply in one area, and then he would move to another. After he left Esau, his brother, he settled in an area called Shechem, which would later become northern Israel. So he's had this spiritual experience, a genuine encounter with God, but he's already fallen back into his old patterns of self-sufficiency and deceit. But when he settles in northern Israel, this is the end of chapter 33, Genesis 33, he, he gets back on track, spiritually speaking, and he calls on the name of the Lord. Remember, he hadn't done much praying in his life, but now he calls on the name of the Lord. He's implementing his decision that he made to be God's man. And, and he wants to do things right. And yet, just at that time, his daughter Dinah is violated by the son of the region's leading official. The word our, our author used is not the normal one for rape. It doesn't convey the same sense of violence, but it does imply that the young man did wrong to Dinah and to her family. Now, we don't know what Dinah's feelings towards the young man were because the text doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that he was deeply attracted to her and he wanted to marry her. But that's not what Dinah's brothers had in mind, Jacob's sons. When they found out what he had done, there was violence, killing It was an ugly affair. And here was Jacob, the man who was just getting started in the renewal process, the man who has finally become serious about his relationship to God. Why were such terrible things happening to him now? Of all times, now that he was trying to live God's way. But look, deciding to be God's person, as radical a shift as that is, doesn't mean that all the problems in a person's life will disappear. In fact, Jacob would suffer other hardships just as heartbreaking as this before his life on earth was over. When he was going through all that horrible stuff with Dinah, Jacob could have given up on God. He could have said to himself, so this is how I get repaid for trying to do the right thing. But he didn't. He was being reued. God was at work in him. So instead of turning his back on God, Jacob turned to him, which is the wisest thing a person can do when trials come. Look, if trials are coming to you, don't turn away from God. Turn to him. More importantly, instead of turning his back on Jacob, God turned to him. Because that's just what he's like. When... He was going through all this horrible stuff that happened with Jacob. God did not give up on him. Now this is Genesis 35. Let me read verses 1 through 7. Then God said to Jacob, 
This is right after what happened with Dinah. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and built an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. <clears throat> so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let's go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who's been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there, the house of God, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. This chapter begins with God speaking to Jacob. This process of renewal is interactive. God speaks to us, and we speak to him. He tells us what to do, and we do it. But thankfully, it doesn't all depend on us. God does not abandon us after we get started on the way. From first to last, God takes the initiative, and we make the response. If you say, well, God's never said anything to me to let me know that he's there. He's never spoken to me or appeared to me or anything like that. I never had any jarring experience like Eric spoke about. I think you're wrong. God has spoken to you, but you've not heard. He's communicated, but you've not responded. It's a mistake to think that if God ever spoke to us, we would certainly know it. There are numerous occasions in Scripture when God spoke and people, just like us, didn't realize that he had spoken to them. Sometimes they even heard him. They just didn't know what or who it was that they heard. After the trials of Genesis 34, God initiates contact again with Jacob. He says, go up to Bethel, where, where I first made you aware that I was watching over you. And I want you to build an altar there. The altar in the Old Testament is a place of meeting, a place of worship and rededication. God did not need Jacob to build an altar before he could reveal himself to him. But I think Jacob needed to build that place of rededication before he would be ready to receive what God wanted to give him, the revelation God had for him. And it's at this point in, in the long story of Jacob it's at this point that we're first able to see the progress that he's been making in Reuel. He tells his family and his staff and all the people that work for him, get rid of the foreign gods that you have and purify yourselves and change your clothes. This is the first time that Jacob seemed to realize that God is holy and he must be treated as such. It's also the first time that he realized that he couldn't be God's person at the same time he was trusting in other gods. And by the way, this is the first time that idea is presented in the Bible. Jacob had an insight. Don't forget, insight, decision, implementation. He had an insight, and it was this. The Lord brooks no rivals. God will not share us. And realizing that, Jacob made a decision, which he quickly began to implement. And in so doing, he grew spiritually. 
Now, we use that kind of terminology often. I want us to understand what that means. It means that Jacob will now be more capable of hearing God speak to him. And because he's grown, the next time God speaks to him, he will be better able to make right decisions and he'll have more grace for putting those decisions into action. See, it's a reinforcing cycle. It's a spiral up rather than down. And every time we go through it, it becomes easier for us to go through it the next time. See, we grow. In the beginning, when we first trust Jesus, when we invite him into our life, often we don't have any idea what we're getting into. In the beginning, we're little more than spiritual wraiths. There's hardly anything to us. Or better, we're spiritual embryos, unseen and all but powerless. But each time we respond to God, we grow into something we have not been before. We turn from wraiths into something substantial, into warm-bodied men and women, from embryos into full-grown sons and daughters of God. Now, God understands this process way better than we do. And that's why he has such patience with us. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's leading, what he's going to accomplish in it. It's no wonder that St. Peter said the Lord's patience means salvation. If God were not patient, we'd have no hope. But he is patient. If you've read the story of Jacob up to this point, you know that he has been deeply concerned, obsessed, we could almost say, with getting ahead financially. It was the one thing that he marked his life by. Am I getting ahead financially? But now he has his family and his household bury all their idols and all their golden earrings, which are probably imprinted with the symbols of foreign gods. He has them bury them under the oak at Shechem. In other words, Jacob is leaving behind a treasure trove. He's sacrificing it to the worship of the one true God. That's one of the consistent markers of spiritual growth. How can we know whether we're spiritually growing or not? This willingness and ability to leave behind the things we once trusted for our well-being, whether they be religious beliefs or money or self-protective behaviors. This is the high point thus far in Jacob's spiritual growth. But growth's not quite the right word. We not only get bigger and stronger, spiritually speaking, we get more real. And that brings great pleasure to Father God to see his children become more and more. But burying these gods, the high point of his spiritual growth thus far, was not going to be the only burial that Jacob experienced. There are four burials just in this chapter. As if to drive home the point that doing the right thing does not exempt a person from suffering, there were three other burials in this chapter. First, Rebecca's nurse, Deborah, whom I suspect was everyone's favorite person in the whole extended family. Deborah died, and they buried her. And then Rachel, Jacob's one true love, died. And just as an aside, her death is sadly ironic. She once yelled at Jacob, unless you give me a child, I'll die. 
And then she died giving birth to his child. And then after Rachel died, as if to top it all off, Jacob's dad, Isaac, died. You know, it would be profoundly mistaken, but we can see how it would be easy to think, why did God let Rachel die just when Jacob was finally coming to trust him? But one who understands Reuel will think, how good of God to let Jacob make progress in trusting him before Rachel died. Jacob had become less wraith-like and more substantial. Or to use biblical terminology, he had become firm in the faith. And now God was able to reveal more of himself and more of his plans to Jacob. God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, now this is chapter 35, verse 9. God said to him, your name is Jacob. Remember what that means? Your name is Deceiver. Your name is Deceiver. But you'll no longer be called Deceiver. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. It seems to me now that Jacob had to be revealed to himself, which was the point of giving him the new name. He had to see who he'd been and who he was becoming before God could give any deeper revelation of himself to Jacob. See, the problem is not that God is unwilling to reveal himself to us. God loves to reveal himself to his children. The problem is that certain things have to happen in us. We have to grow. We have to become more substantial before we're capable of receiving his revelation. There's nothing to stop the physicist Stephen Hawking from explaining the concept of imaginary numbers and the role they play in forming a grand unified theory to a kindergartner. He can do that if you want, or to a preacher, for that matter. But until the kindergartner or the preacher grows up a little, he'll not be able to receive what Hawking is telling him. And that principle works in spiritual things too. Sometimes it's not that God doesn't want to share what he has planned for us. It's that we're not able to take it in. Now, it's important to understand that Jacob was not growing spiritually. This is very important to understand. Simply because he was learning new truths. He was growing because he was making decisions based on those truths and implementing those decisions into action. It's it's easy for us, and church leaders make this mistake all the time, it's easy for us to think that all people need to grow to be firm in the faith is more information. Just give them more knowledge about God and the gospel. But it's not the lack of knowledge that usually stands in our way. Usually what we need to do is believe the truth we already have, to give it its place in daily life and act on it. Until we do that, additional truth can do us little good and may even do us harm. More than once, Jacob received truth that he had not acted on. And that happens in our lives too. As Dallas Willard explains it, generally we have the right answers. 
And those answers are very precious indeed. But as things stand, we are by and large unable to believe them in the way we genuinely do believe multitudes of things in our, quote, real life. See, that's what we need to do. We need to believe our beliefs. Believe them in a way that we believe that gasoline will make our car run and paying our electric bill will keep the lights on. Spiritual truth is not some special class of truth that you can believe without acting on. All right, so what have we learned about the Reule? We've learned that it takes time. We've learned that it takes patience, and not just on our part, but on God's. We've learned that responding to God today will make us more capable of responding to God tomorrow. That's how we grow. I say we've learned these things, but we've only learned them if we can put them into practice. So what has God been saying to you? What insights have you had into your relationship with him or into the word he's spoken to you through the scriptures? What have you seen in the past that you've not yet acted on? Jacob received truth when he was young. That's Genesis chapter 28. And then when he was older, that's Genesis chapter 32. But it wasn't really until chapter 35 that he began acting on those insights. What have you seen in the past or maybe even today that you need to act upon? Your progress depends on what you do with that. You can start an upward spiral, a reinforcing positive cycle by taking the next step. If you say, I don't know what the next step is, then ask God and perhaps some spiritual growing friend. If you don't know what the next step is, that is the next step. And remember, God's patience means salvation, and he is patient. God is the most patient person in the universe. If you've gotten off the path, he'll help you back on. If you've fallen, he'll help you back up, and he'll do it gladly. But he will not help you stay where you are. If that's what you want from him, I'm afraid you'll have neither sight nor sound of him. Now let's pray. God, whatever you want to say to us, please say. I know there are things that you want to say to us that we're not ready to receive yet, so make us big enough to receive them. And Lord, it just occurs to me that we see this again and again, and it's so true and so good, that it's all of grace. You started it. You won't give up on us. You'll bring what you've started to completion. That's so encouraging to me and so good of you. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name.